Amen. So good morning. For those of you who don't know my name, my name is Jason Foster. I'm on the council here. I'm also a youth leader. And uh, hi, Lee. It's great to see you guys this morning. Uh, it's an honor to have the opportunity to share with you guys. So I lived in Rosemount, Minnesota growing up. I lived there. It's about a half hour south of Minneapolis. Um, it's cold there, just like it is here. It's, it's colder, not as much snow. It's frigid there, though. It's negative there. There's a lot of wind, and it's absolutely freezing. The thing I appreciate about this area is we get a ton of snow, but it melts, and then it comes back, and we get it in large quantities, so that's pretty cool. But in Minnesota, once the cold uh, comes, it doesn't leave for like, you know, for like six months. And so growing up there, uh, I spent my first year of high school in Rosemount. And there was a senior in high school named Daryl who lived directly across the street from me. And I looked up to Daryl a lot. He was, he was a really cool guy. He was older than I was. He was a senior. I was a freshman. He was on the varsity football team. And so that was automatically like a, a cool thing. And then uh, he always wore cool clothes. He was very in style. He had a ton of friends. And uh, I remember that he had a car, and he was always on the go. He was always pulling up in his driveway and then pulling out of his driveway multiple times a day. And I remember that his car it was a bigger sedan. I don't remember what type or make or model it was, but it ran, and that's really all that mattered to me. Like, this guy drove to school, and it was so cool. And in fact, he was so cool that his friends would always ask him for rides, and he never really gave them any. And so one day, we were talking after school. He lived directly across the street from me. I could see his front door. And uh, he came up to me, and he said, Jason, would you, like, would you like rides to and from school? And I was like, it kind of caught me off guard. I was like, this guy that I look up to so much is offering me rides to and from school. And not just a couple of times or here and there. He was offering me rides every day, Monday through Friday, to and from school. And so he said, if, you know, check with your parents, make sure it's cool with them, but if that's all right, then I'll bring you, you know. And so I was excited that he would even want to be seen with a puny little freshman like me. I mean, back then, I, I don't know how it is now, I'm sure it's the same, but you don't really associate, you know, with lower classmen. You associate maybe one class below you, but if you're a senior, freshmen and sophomores don't matter to you. And so that really spoke a lot to me. The guy that I looked up to and wanted to be like when I got older actually wanted me to ride with him. Daryl was my hero, and I couldn't wait to wake up in the morning, get ready, and then go meet him at his car because it just felt so cool that, like, he would come out and he'd be like, hey, man, hop in, you know, open the door, put on your seatbelt, let's go. And so him giving me rides made me look up to him even more. And after a few weeks of riding with Daryl, I started noticing a change about myself. A change started happening in my behavior, and my personality started changing slowly. And I noticed that I, start, I wanted to start wearing the clothes that Daryl wore. Back then, the cool clothes were like, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of these. I've told my, my teens and youth group, but Jabot jeans. Does anybody remember Jabot jeans? I don't know if you do, but polo jeans were huge back then. And then the t-shirts that were cool back in the day, like in the late 90s, were Stussy t-shirts and Massimo t-shirts, Quicksilver, things like that, those beach-type clothes. And so Doc Martin shoes back then were really in style. And so I wanted to start wearing those types of things. I wanted to start begging my mom, please buy me these clothes. You know, I want to I look like Daryl. And so I wanted to start surrounding myself with the people that, like, Daryl hung out with. And I wanted to be accepted by Daryl so much. And I noticed that the motivations behind the changes that I was making were to 
earn the approval of Daryl. In my teenage mind, he was the example of how I wanted to live my life. And, and if I wanted to lead a life like he did, I had to try to follow his example. So this morning, we're going to take a look at what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. This morning's message title is titled, The Gospel is Good News, Not Good Advice. Let's see if this thing is plugged in and operational. Perfect. The gospel is good news, not good advice. And so for me, the gospel is good news, not good advice. There, there's something called morals, and you guys have probably heard of it. It's a list of good things that we should do. And like a lot of people, obviously unsaved people, people who don't know the Bible that well or know the Lord, morals are like a list of things that we should and should not do. They're things that are right and they're things that are wrong. And for a lot of people, the morals that they kind of look at as right and wrong is like the list of Ten Commandments, you know? And a lot of times the list of the Ten Commandments is, you know, things that you can dismiss. And so when I heard the Ten Commandments when I was a kid, the Ten Commandments to me was like this list of things that, you know, this giant set of rules that if you broke one of them, maybe God would strike you down with like a lightning bolt and you would vaporize into a, a pillar of smoke or something like that. But it, wouldn't it make sense that if God gave us rules and we should probably uphold them, we should probably abide by them and follow them? But if that's true, then this would make sense as well, that we should follow these rules and these morals, then God would be happy with us. He would accept us. And so moralism, moralism is the belief that keeping the right rules will give us the peace and the joy that make us right with God's. In other words, if we perform for God's approval and acceptance like I did with my friend with Daryl, they would accept me. He would accept me if I followed by the things that he liked, if I followed the things that he thought was cool. But here's the danger of moralism. When we follow or do or even actually excel at those things, the results are then accomplished by us. It's accomplished in our territory by us. These are the things that we work for. These are the, these are the things that I do. They're accomplished by you and me. And this is how it would work, right? So we've been good, so then God gives us good things, right? There's a transaction happening here. Actually, he would owe us things if we did these things. God and his goodness towards us is a direct result from the good that we have done. And it doesn't depend on how good God actually is in and of himself. It's all by us. It's all by me. It's all by you. Now, here lies the problem with that. When we see the gospel in this light, we then view as the, the, the good news is simply good advice. We see the gospel of Jesus as just good advice. Good advice is something that you can dismiss. Good advice is something that maybe a buddy of yours gives you. Maybe your girlfriend of yours gives you. Maybe it's something that your mother-in-law or father-in-law speak into your life. It's dismissible, isn't it? Good advice, it's something that's spoken, and you can just say, well... That doesn't really fit my, you know, life right now. I'm not going to take that advice. Maybe it's good. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a good word, but it's not for me right now. Advice is just that. It's a recommendation. It's a suggestion that you should follow. And you, when you must obey to be loved or accepted, it sucks the joy right out of that behavior. And then it isn't joyful anymore. Instead, it becomes dry. It becomes weighty. It becomes burdensome. 
and it's a big load to carry. So when you act or behave good, you feel as if you should be on the receiving end of that glory or praise because you're the one trying to earn it. And then when you mess up or fail, you then doubt. You start doubting God's love for you. And then to carry on that burdensome task of trying to hide your mistakes from God and from others, you want to curl up, you want to shy away when something happens because then you feel like a failure. The problem with following rules because you feel forced is because it removes that response of love from our worship. Don't you love worship? Isn't it awesome to just cry out to God and acknowledge him as savior, acknowledge him as sovereign, as acknowledge his will for your life? When you start wanting to be on the receiving end of that glory and praise, you're trying to live up to a certain expectation, and it takes the love right out of worship. It sucks it dry. So we're coming off the Christmas season, and for Pastor Vicki and I, when the Christmas season starts, which is around Thanksgiving, I know there's a lot of contention there, whether you start you know, decorating for Christmas before or after Thanksgiving. I'm just going to back right out of that. I'm not going to tell you when I start celebrating Christmas, but it is good. And so the Christmas season is awesome. Uh, when the Christmas season does start in our family, we, uh, we like to watch a lot of Christmas movies. And our list of Christmas movies that we want to watch is pretty, pretty long. But on the top of our list, up there probably in the top three, uh, is uh, White Christmas. How many of you have seen White Christmas? have a confession for you. Um, White Christmas is obviously like a musical. I never used to like musicals. I grew up with an older brother. There's a lot of testosterone in our house. And so Disney movies, not a big deal. Musicals, not a big deal. Couldn't even tell you what one was. But then I met Pastor Vicky. And then I learned quickly what musicals are and what Disney movies are. And so White Christmas is obviously a musical. At the beginning of that movie, um, there's these two army buddies that are putting on a performance. They're putting on this show. And the setting of White Christmas, when the scene opens up, it's World War II. Not sure what year it is, but they're in the middle of a battle. And um, the two uh, buddies that are putting on this show, they're putting it in front of their big brigade. So there's like hundreds of people all around watching them. And so then right in the middle of their performance, this message comes in from a messenger. He runs up, gives a word, and then he speaks it out loud and says, our beloved major general has just resigned. And suddenly the mood becomes somber. It's quiet. There's a lot of sadness because they obviously love their dear commander. But then right after that message, he suddenly shows up on scene and everybody comes right to attention and they salute him. And then he shows up and he gives this big awesome, loving farewell speech to his, to his division, and he says goodbye. And as the major, his name is Major Tom Waverly, as he starts to walk away to leave his men, his men start singing this rousing send-off song called The Old Man. And I want to share a few lines of that song with you this morning. It goes like this. It says, We'll follow the old man wherever he wants to go. Long as he wants to go, opposite to the foe. Will stay with the old man wherever he wants to stay, long as he stays away from battle's fray. Because we love him, we love him. Especially when he keeps us on the ball. And we'll tell the kiddies we answer duty's call, would the grandest son of a soldier of them all. The soldiers follow their dear general. They love 
their dear general, not because they feel the forced hand to follow him, but they follow him because they love him. They trust him. He's battle-tested. He's tried. He's been through the ringer. The soldiers follow their dear general, not because they feel the forced hand, but because they love him. See, our love changes our actions. The soldiers probably didn't want to march into battle, but if that was where their general was headed, they would be right behind him. It's devotion, it's allegiance, it's love. I had a similar kind of devotion to my high school friend Daryl. I wanted to change who I was to be like Daryl. The text that we're going to look at this morning, if you want to open your Bibles, is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And it'll be up here on the screen as well, so let's read it. Verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you, t- you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Let's look at the text here this morning to help us understand what the difference is between good news and good advice. I want to be honest with you this morning. We hear the term gospel thrown around a lot in church, don't we? It's a term that we hear probably on a daily basis when you're here at church. The word gospel comes from a Greek word called euangelizo, E-U-A-N-G-E-L-I-Z-O. And it means good news. What's important to understand about this Greek word is that the context in which it was used. Euangelizo is a verb meant to announce good news. And the good news back in biblical times was what? It was when after they won a battle. The king goes into battle, he leads his people, he wins the battle, he comes back to the city within the city walls and message goes forth, we just won, and the celebration starts, euangelizo, the good news is that we won. The good news would be to spread and bring people great joy of that nation. The king's people would receive peace and joy because of their king's victory in battle. Verse 8 says that when we believe in God, we receive the gift of grace. And essentially, the gift that's talked about here in this verse is what? It's Jesus. We believe that God gave us Jesus to be our king, and that King Jesus would then give us salvation by his victory over death, over our failures, over our insecurities, over our idols, over our sickness, disease, over our chaos and our shortcomings, and then over our, and you fill in the blank for you. What can he gain victory for you over your life this morning? What is it that you're seeking? What do you need victory over? I encourage us this morning to remind ourselves daily that the joy and the peace that we receive from God came at the expense of something. The joy and peace that we receive came at the expense of Jesus. And we need to remind ourselves daily of that expense. Not because of something good that we've done. It's not on our side. It's not something that we've accomplished with our hands. It's not something that you've accomplished in your life that brings God great joy. 
The reason why we receive victory and peace and joy is because of that right there. Because of the cross where he hung and died for us. So what does this mean for you? You guys are probably asking yourselves, well, we'll get on with it. What does it mean for us? Well, right now, it means that you and I are completely dependent. Completely, 100%, without a doubt, dependent on the goodness and grace of Jesus for our every, for our every spiritual need. Amen? We can't do life on our own. How many have tried that? Doing life on your own. Does it work out? No. I've told this story many times. I was uh, serving at a church up north in Crookston uh, after I rededicated my life to the Lord. And uh, I was, uh, it was a really small church. Uh, Not that numbers matter, but it was very small. I'm talking like maybe 20, 30 people on a regular Sunday morning. And uh, there was an elder of the church. <laughs> Whenever I think of him, it just makes me laugh. His name was Roger Van Heuvelen. My, my teens have heard this story. And uh, Roger Van Heuvelen is a farmer up in Crookston. Up in Crookston, it's part of the Red River Valley, so it's very flat. The Red River runs right next to it, probably 30 miles. And the Red River, like 2,000 years ago, it always flooded. And so the soil up there is very fertile. It's all flat land, very rich um, very rich soil. And so Roger Van Heuvelen was a farmer, and he had a very, like, gritty face, a lot of wrinkles. He had a huge white beard, and his car was always covered in dust because he would be driving on the farms and stuff. And he was at work. Uh, he was a part of the, he did, I think, the, he did think he was the treasurer. And so I came up to church one day, guitar in hand, getting ready for, um, getting ready for a practice. And out he comes, and out I come in. And so I literally run into him on the sidewalk. And I was busy with school, and I was busy with, you know, leading worship. I was the campus uh, uh, crusade for Christ president, and so had a lot on my plate. And I was walking in kind of quickly, and he stops me dead in my tracks, and he was like, whoa, where are you going so fast? I was like, i got to get to practice. He's like, and he looked at me dead square in the face, and he pointed his, his wrinkly long finger in my face, and he's like, listen, Jason, if you try to do life with your own strength, you'll fall flat on your face every time. And to this day, I don't forget that. And I remember that as I'm, as I'm feeling busy, as schedules kind of, you know, get kind of chaotic. I remember Roger Van Heuvelen speaking that word of wisdom to me. Don't do life on your own. Give it to the Lord. So we can't do life on our own. We will not and have not produced. Listen, we have not produced any fruit by our own righteousness and strength. To be honest with you, there is really no good thing that we have that we have not received from God's gracious hand. There is nothing that we can take credit for. All praise and honor and worship belongs to God, and it belongs to God alone. To quote from an old hymn, O victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming love. God alone is due worship because he made that redeeming move for us first. He alone sought us out, and he alone bought us. The first time I experienced God and his love when I was eight years old, it was right after my father had died. I remember going to a full gospel Korean church in Las Vegas when we lived there. My dad was serving in the Air Force. And my mom heard about this church lock-in event for the, for the children, and she wanted me to go. And so I, I went, obviously. She wanted me to go. So for two days, we were locked in the church where they had worship services for us. And we spent a ton of time 
up here at the altar, laying just right in front of the, the platform here, crying out to God. We spent a lot of time doing that, and, and it was at those altars that I first experienced the Holy Spirit. And I won't ever forget feeling his presence for the first time in my life. I'm sure he was there. I'm sure he was surrounding us in, in the trauma that we experienced, but it was at that altar that I first actually acknowledged his presence and felt his presence. I remember telling my mom when she picked us up, we got in the car and she was like, well, how was it? And I looked at her and I'm like, I'm like mom, I, something cool happened. I, I felt something, you know, but I couldn't explain it. I didn't have the words to describe what that feeling was that I, that I experienced or what it was. And so I told her basically, I was tingly and I cried a lot. And she looked at me and she said, Jason, that was, that was the Holy Spirit. And then I cried some more. But as I grew older, slowly but surely, I began walking away from the Lord, especially in my teenage years. I started to make more friends at school and eventually stopped going to church altogether. But as I grew away from the Lord, this is how awesome God is. He's faithful. As I started walking away from the Lord, guess what? The Lord was with me still. I knew his closeness. I knew the proximity of God. I, I felt him. I knew that he was there. And all I simply needed to do, no matter how far I went away, all I needed to simply do was come back. I knew that he was there. And so I never really understood what the gospel was all about either, though. I never really understood it. I, I kind of had an experience with the Holy Spirit. I knew who God was. I, I heard of Jesus. I, I knew that he died. But I didn't really understand what that gospel was all about. As I, got, as I got older, I started to cave into peer pressure and started to party and stuff throughout high school. Not a ton, but I did. And then I graduated high school and I started college. And, and it wasn't until I hit a depression in my life. It was for a six-month period that I hit this depression. When I finally rededicated my life to Jesus and was genuinely saved. And it was at that point, God's redeeming love became real to me. See, just before I was struggling with that death of my father, you know, I learned that my father died of suicide in my teenage years, and it wrecked me. At eight years old, I learned my dad died, went to his funeral, buried him with my mom. Totally traumatic, chaos. And then I learned that he had died by his own hand in my teenage years, and it wrecked my life, and it messed me up inside, and I was wrestling with questions like, God, why did you take him from me? What would my life be like now if he was still in my life? Why did I have to go through so much trauma and so much pain at a young age? Why did he do it? Was it Eric, my older brother and I, that, that made him do this? I struggled. I wrestled with these questions. Friends were reaching out to me during my depression. They would call me. They would text me. I wouldn't respond. Family members would email me. They would call me. I wouldn't respond. But I did turn to the Bible. And I started to read God's word and breakthrough slowly started happening. And then I got bold. I went outside. I started to venture outside my house, which I hadn't done in a while. And I, I saw this Assemblies of God church called Chaska. That's where the town I lived in was called Chaska, Minnesota. And it was behind this strip mall. And I stopped in on a Sunday morning and attended their service. And the pastor there came right up to me and he introduced himself and he started asking me questions, and he saw that I was broken. So after service, he had set up a time with me to come meet with him, because he wanted to talk things out. 
And when we met, I told him my story and he prayed with me. And I appreciate that, Pastor, because he noticed a new member and he immediately came up to me. That's a good pastor. That's the type of pastors that we have here. Amen. They notice. So Pastor Jeff explained that Jesus came for us all. He came to seek and he came to save the lost. Pastor Jeff wasn't offering me good advice that day. He knew what I needed was the good news of Jesus. He knew that I needed the gospel. And it was there that God radically changed my heart and ultimately changed the course of my life. Church, listen, I am not trying to you know, belittle good advice because sometimes good advice is needed. Amen? Sometimes we need counsel. Sometimes we need a, a word of wisdom. Sometimes we need somebody to speak into our lives. But listen, God will bring a friend or a leader to you and to help you through those moments. When a situation arises and you need clarity or wisdom, good advice is just that, right? It's good advice. That's really all it is. And it can help you make wise decisions in your life, but that advice has no power to change your heart. Amen? The good news of Jesus, on the other hand, has the power to change not just your heart, but your life in a supernatural way. When your heart understands the good news and what it costs, the life that it costs, the I should approach to things, I should, maybe I want to, that type of living right then changes supernaturally to the I want approach and you will run towards Jesus. You'll want to live right for God and you'll want to follow his ways. It changes from I should to I want. I'm coming to a close here this morning. In verse 10 it says that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. We can do good things out of the good news of Jesus. Because of God's goodness through Jesus, we want to be good or to do good. And that's what our true motivation should be, church. If you feel obligated, if you feel like you have to, I ask that Jesus would remind your heart about what it cost him. That's what our true motivation should be. Out of his goodness, we want to love and we want to serve others. The grace of God motivates us. It propels us. The grace of God mobilizes us. And he sends us out to serve him and to serve others. His love and grace fuels us. Think about Matthew 28 and what the Great Commission is. We have the Holy Spirit. It propels us. It fuels us. It gives us power. Dunamis, it says. But think about how it mobilizes us. What, mo what mobilizes us? What's the motivation behind me wanting to do good? When we love others and serve others, we don't do it in the hope that God will be pleased with us. If that's how you think God views you, I pray that you look at that cross and see what the motivation was and what the cost was. We do it instead because the good news of Jesus has compelled us to want to serve. The gospel is good news, not good advice. Jesus Christ is good news. As we close this morning, I'd like to pose a question. Do you feel like you're striving to be good? 
Do you feel like you're striving to be good and to live a good life so that you can please God? That can be a really heavy burden to carry. And it also can be one that you were not intended to carry in the first place. The good news is that the life which pleases God was already lived. And you can find rest and peace in knowing that what Jesus has done is enough. Jesus is sufficient. His death is sufficient. So, Father, as we close in prayer this morning, God, we want to thank you. We want to thank you for reminding our hearts of how desperately in need of Jesus we are. Father, we confess to you that we have tried to live life on our own and we confess that we have tried to earn your love and acceptance. Father, without your rescue, without your provision of Jesus and without your deliverance of your grace, we wouldn't have any spiritual hope at all. And we thank you, God, that we are completely dependent on the grace of Jesus for our every spiritual need because if we did it on our own, Lord, we would never make it to you. We would never make it to you. Father, help us to boast in your son, Jesus in his love and in his goodness. And thank you for the gift of salvation and victory that is only found in the good news of Christ. Father, seal this good news. Seal the gospel to our hearts, Lord. Remind us every day of what it means. God, let the heart motivation behind us, God, be that we want to please you because of what Jesus has done. God, it's all about Jesus. It always was, it always will be, Lord. Help us to love others. Help us to be compassionate as Pastor was talking about, Lord. Help us to seek and save the lost and use us, Lord, we ask, to serve others, God, in the way that would be fully pleasing to you, Lord. God, purify our motives, purify our hearts, purify our minds, God. Regenerate us, God, by your spirit. Seal the good news of the gospel to our hearts. Sear it, Lord. Burn it into our hearts, God. We love you, Lord. We thank you, God. We are joy-filled people. We celebrate, Lord, as those people in the nations and then within the city walls when their king has won a victory in battle, Lord. We celebrate, Lord, as those people. We celebrate your victory over the grave, God. We love you, Lord. We ask your blessing upon today, Lord, as we exit this building, Lord. Be in our hearts, God, we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. So we're officially dismissed. I encourage you guys to come back at six uh, to hear the message that Lee Briggs has prepared. Listen, before you guys go, I encourage anybody here, council and deacons will be up here, but I pray if anybody does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, pray that you stick around. We want to meet with you. We want to pray with you. We'll be up here for you. We love you. You guys are dismissed. See you tonight.